All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, glad that you have joined us on this New Year's Day. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, if 2022 was a bad year for you, hey, new, new chance. And if 2022 was a great year, then uh, hopefully you're like feeling momentum just swinging into the, the new year. Today, as uh, Jake kind of indicated, during the announcements, we are beginning our 21 days of prayer and fasting today. And so what uh, when he and I met this week, we decided to kind of do things a little differently today. Uh, we're going to split up the sermon into three parts. Um, so this first part, if you're a note taker, by the way, you'll notice I actually got in some blank lines, so my wife will be happy. Uh, so if you want, you can fill in uh, the notes there. The, this first part we are calling the gospel planted in me, the gospel planted in me. To help you see this, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of Colossians. If you are a first-time guest with us, uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, we've been in the book of Colossians for a while, so for those who are a regular part of our church family, their Bible's probably going to just fall right to it. If you don't have a Bible, though, don't worry about it. We're going to be putting the scripture up on the screen, but if you have a Bible on your phone, totally feel free to pull that out. Same for those of you. Who, oh, yeah, things aren't working online. Uh, you guys can pray that we can get these things figured out, so apologize that there's no one online, um, but uh, uh, if you uh, need a paper Bible uh, and would like to have one, we have some on our resource table. We'd love to just give one of those to you and let that be our New Year's Day gift to you. Uh, we started Colossians back in August, and uh, the first sermon, uh, we did a little bit of background, and then we looked at the first eight verses. Well, there's a section in there that uh, is really key and critical, I think, to help us understand what it is that, that uh, the elders and I are, are praying for, longing for, for us during these 21 days of prayer. So I, I want to take you back there. Now, I realize some of you, you may not remember, or maybe you've joined Riverwood since that time, um, or if you're a first-time guest and aren't familiar with it, I'm going to give a little bit of background and context. Um, but we're going to spend the, just a bit of time here in this part one in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 6, and, uh, and try to show you a couple of things that I hope will help set you up for these 21 days. So let's uh, begin with prayer, and uh, I'll give some background. Well, Heavenly Father, um, we are now coming to your scriptures. Uh, I believe, Father, that you wrote these words through human pens uh, long ago for an original audience. And yet, because you are you, you were able to embed the truths in there that we need even here today in 2023. And that is why I ask that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds, you would have us to hear what you want to say to us, that, that it would not necessarily be about what I have prepared, but it is about what you have for your people, what you want to do in them so that you can do something great through them. So that's why we just humble ourselves now, asking for you to be our teacher, that even these words that maybe we heard last August or some of us maybe read here recently, that we'd still continue to be impacted by the, the truths that are found here. So Father, do in us what you need to do for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, in case you don't recall, or this is your kind of first time approaching the a book of Colossians, uh, it's written by a guy by the name of Paul. Uh, the Christian church globally calls him either the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul, thus Saint Paul Lutheran Church, like we have here in town. Um, Paul's story begins in the book of Acts. Uh, we meet him right at the end of chapter 7, and he is on the fast track to becoming one of the greatest, most influential rabbis in all of Judaism. Uh, th this is a guy that's well-respected. People just deeply admire him. And, and so that's why we see when Stephen, a, a Jesus follower, is, is being killed, stoned because of his faith. They're throwing these stones at him. People are laying their coats at the feet of Paul. 
He, he was just this really great influential figure. And so out of his zealousness, he gets permission from kind of the church leadership to go and um, uh, arrest people in another city. So he's on his way to the city of Damascus to arrest anyone who's a Jew and proclaims that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. It's just that while on the way there, he ends up meeting Jesus. The, the resurrected Christ who had ascended to heaven comes down for this moment and basically says to Paul, you got it wrong. Here, he thought this whole Jesus of Nazareth thing was just made up. No one rises from the dead. And he thought this is ruining Judaism. And now he realizes, I'm wrong. That moment radically changed his life. Instead of going around trying to arrest Jesus followers, he began to travel the world to make Jesus followers. The gospel had become the most critical key thing to him. That's why when he hears about this brand new church that got started in the small little city known as Colossae, he wanted to write them a letter. Most of the letters he wrote in the New Testament were written to churches that he planted, so he knew the people. Colossae, though, he'd never been there. He does not know these people. And yet, he's so excited, and yet he wants to make sure they truly understand what it is they heard. He wants to bury these things deep. Those of you who are familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul writes about a lot of different issues. He wants to help the Colossians avoid those same sort of issues. So he writes this letter of guidance and protection. So after starting his letter in a typical way, he introduces himself, says this is to the the believers that are in in the Colossae. He then shifts to thanks, and I want you to see what he's thankful for because there's something in here that's going to help us. So join me, Colossians 1, starting in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The heart of these these verses is right there at the very end of verse 5. You notice he talks about the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is the good news that humanity who was born in sin could be forgiven of that sin. That God loved the world so much, he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him, believe in the story that Jesus went to a cross to die in their place and rose again from the dead, whoever put their faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is good news. But I want you to notice, he defines it in a little extra way. He calls it right before uh, the, the word, he gives a little uh, phrase there. The word of truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It will set you free. Paul wants them to know you will be freed from your sins, freed from your past, freed from your mistakes. Now, there may still be some consequences, but they're not going to be held against you. God forgives you of it. It is truth. This word of truth. But now what I want you to notice is the next phrase right after. Verse 6. This word of truth, this gospel, it came to them. They they didn't find this gospel through meditation, through uh, scientific logic. 
No, it came to them. We, we learn in, in verses 7 and 8 that it came through a guy by the name of Epaphras. A lot of scholars believe that Epaphras met Jesus through the ministry of Paul when Paul planted a church in Ephesus. After Paul continued his missionary journeys, Epaphras goes home to Colossae and ends up sharing the gospel. Some people end up believing it, and a church forms. Eventually, Epaphras has the opportunity to travel to Rome, where Paul ends up in, in uh, prison, and he's under house arrest. And while there, he is able to tell him, hey, I did exactly what you did in Ephesus. I planted a church. I shared the gospel, and this church is formed. That's why Paul gets so excited and writes this letter. So the gospel came to them. That, that's something you, you need to realize. This is important. Because the gospel, it comes to people. The question now is, when it comes to you, will you receive it and will you believe it? As he said back there in, in verse 4, he said that they have this faith in Christ. It means that this gospel came to them, but they not only received it, they truly believed it. They put their faith, their trust in this story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So for you, as we start 2023, if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you let the new day of a new year become the first day of a new life? Will you put your faith in Jesus? You may think that you came today to church, or you may think that you're logging on to a podcast, but really it's God bringing this gospel to you. Will you put your faith in this? Will you receive it and will you believe it? That is an act of surrender. To, to confess your sin, to believe that God paid for your sin through the cross, to realize you cannot save yourself, you cannot have a relationship with God except through Jesus, that means you have to surrender. You surrender your efforts, you surrender everything. And, and realizing that Jesus, because he gave everything for you, you're now saying, I surrender and I give it all to you. I give you my wallet, I give you my, my schedule, I give you my relationships, I surrender it all to you. But that's not just the beginning of the Christian faith. As uh, theologian Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z. You see, this gospel is not just something that begins your relationship with God. It is the very vehicle with which God does this growth in you. A, a married couple, the culmination of their love is not on the wedding day. It shouldn't be. That should be the declaration of the love. But a healthy marriage continues to love, surrender, sacrifice for one another, and the love deepens and deepens and deepens. Likewise, the gospel begins your marriage to God, this union, and yet that's not where it stops. The gospel is what God continues to use to draw you deeper. That's why we see what he says here in, uh, verse, uh, later in verse 6. He says that this gospel which came to them, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now, that increasing can mean that the gospel is spreading around the globe, and it was, just as it is in our day, but it's also increasing in depth in the people to the point that it is bearing fruit. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul talks about how this gospel is to get rooted. We are to become rooted in the gospel. A tree does not have to focus on bearing fruit. A tree just simply gets its roots down as deep as it can, reaches out for the sun so photosynthesis can happen, and the fruit just comes. 
God wants you to bear fruit. But your emphasis, your focus isn't to be on the fruit itself. Your focus should be on God and getting your roots down into this gospel. And when you are leaning into the gospel, when you are allowing it to be planted in you and to grow, you will begin to bear fruit. But just as your journey with God begins with surrender, the way this gospel growth happens is to continue to surrender. It is a continual surrender of letting this gospel continue to take root in you. And that means you're allowing God to remove out whatever he needs to. And so it seems appropriate for us to begin then these 21 days with a prayer of surrender. And so what I want to do is I want to first pray for you as your pastor. But then I'm, after I say amen, I'm going to invite you into a corporate prayer. And we're going to read this off the screen together. So if you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to read this prayer of surrender with us. So first, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for my church family, for these friends, that they would embark on this journey of these 21 days. And it wouldn't just be a formality that they go through because it's what we're doing as a church. It wouldn't be something that they just kind of ignore and set aside because it seems too much of a gimmick. Instead, I pray that they would give themselves to this and allow you to do something great. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to surrender that we would just bow our knee before your throne, we'd open our lives completely to you and ask for you to do in us what you need to do for your glory, knowing it will ultimately come for our joy. So God, I pray you would give us the courage, the strength to to be willing to open up like this. And, And as we do so, God, I pray you'd help our roots to go deeper so that we might begin to see fruit pour forth from us. And that's why, Lord, now I just pray that you will hear our prayer now as we corporately read together this prayer of surrender. Would you please pray with me? Loving Father, I surrender to you all my heart and soul. I open all the secret places of my heart to you and say, come in. I surrender my time, my treasures, my talents, my health, my family, my resources, my work, my schedule, my successes, and my failures. I lay it all down before you. Gracious Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I believe in you and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me by coming to earth for me and dying on the cross for me because you held nothing back to save me from my sin i hold nothing back from you holy spirit help the gospel bear fruit in my life so i might be more like jesus help me daily surrender my weaknesses and strengths my insecurities and celebrations my emotions and fears O triune God, I surrender my whole life to you, my past, present, and future. Help me to trust you in all things because I belong to you. In the uh, Psalms, uh, David asks God to search him. 
And often during the searching, we stumble onto things. So as you go through this act of surrendering, you'll occasionally come across something that you realize this isn't good. This isn't right. It's something in the darkness. It's something you're embarrassed by. It's some sin. And so you need to go a step further. As part of that surrendering, you need to go into the act of confession. And, and to help you see the power of confession, I invite you now to open your Bible to the book of First John. It should come as no surprise that the uh, book of First John is written by the Apostle John. Uh, he wrote uh, the gospel that bears his name, as well as three little letters, First John, Second John, and Third John. And one of the things you notice throughout is that G- John was probably Jesus' best friend. In fact, at the Last Supper, as Jesus is, you know, telling everyone, hey, one of you is going to betray me, it's John who leans over against Jesus and says, like, who is it, Lord? He's sitting right there next to Christ in kind of this place of prominence. So it really hurt John's feelings when he heard all these lies and falsehoods traveling around about Jesus. One of the lies that was going around about Jesus is that he really didn't come in the flesh because there was this idea that flesh was evil and awful and wrong. Well, Jesus is good, so he must not have come in the flesh. So when he was here, he was just here in spirit. And John's thinking, no, I leaned against a physical body at the Last Supper. I saw him physically die on a cross. After he rose again from the dead, I touched the the scars. I saw it. He was a physical person. And so he knew that these lies and falsehoods that were traveling around were confusing the Jesus followers. And so that's why he wrote these three little letters to try to encourage them. But he didn't want to just give them some fluffy encouragement. He knew that what he needed to give them was some truth. For it was John himself who was there when Jesus uttered those words I talked about in part one, that the truth will set you free. And so he writes some words to encourage, but the truth of them almost sounds a little harsh. But as we get into them, I hope you'll see that he's not trying to build some sort of wall between people and God. Rather, he's showing them the doorway into freedom. And part of that doorway includes the act of confession. So if you have 1 John 1 open there, join me at verse 5, and we're going to do verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. As you read John's gospel, as well as these letters, you'll notice a theme of light. John was there when Jesus declared that I am the light of the world. And that idea, I think, penetrated John's mind and heart that you see this theme over and over in his writing. So it shouldn't be a surprise there when we come to verse 5, and we see him describe God as light. But he wants to clarify what that means. So you see the second phrase there after it. It says that in him is no darkness 
at all. In other words, God is pure. God is consistent. He is full of integrity. And as we read and study the scriptures, we see that this is what God desires for us. If we are made in his image, we should be reflecting this character of him. And so therefore, we should be consistent, full of integrity, pure. The problem, though, is we aren't. We are full of hypocrisy. No, nobody likes a hypocrite. Have you, have you ever noticed how our culture, where its values are always changing, you know, one day, yeah, that's good. A decade later, no, that is bad. And, and, and vice versa. It, it's constantly shifting. But one thing that's remained consistent is our culture does not like hypocrites. If, if someone's like, no, you should not, you know, cheat on your spouse and yet goes and does it repeatedly, no one respects them. The, the, the woman that says, like scolds you for gossiping and then turns around and says, oh, but you know what I heard about her? We just don't really respect that individual. And yet, as much as we don't like hypocrites, we are all hypocrites. Anyone here ever said, you don't have to raise your hand, but anyone here ever said, you should not lie? And yet, how many of you have lied? Yeah. And if you didn't raise your hand, I gave you permission not to. But internally, if you weren't raising your hand, you're lying. Right? We all lie. And yet we all know it's not right. We are hypocrites. That is why John says these kind of harsh words. He confronts our hypocrisy because he knows that's not what God desires for us. God wants us to live a different life, a better life, one that reflects his glory because he knows that's where our greatest joy will be found. And so he confronts it. Notice especially verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Basically, we're saying, you know what? I'm good. I'm just fine. I, you know what? I guess I don't need God. And yet he's saying, you're fooling yourself. You're tricking yourself. The, the, the person who doesn't have sin, they're right. They don't need God. The problem is we all have sin. And so therefore, we all need God. That's why he goes on then to say in, in verse 9, if we confess our sin. So this is in a sense taking that sin and acknowledging the reality of it. Acknowledging its existence. We bring it out of the darkness into the light. But that is scary. To take this disgusting thing that we're probably embarrassed by, we don't want anyone to know, so we pack it away in our internal closet. Now we're supposed to bring this out and lay it before God and surrender this? But then you take it a step further and you confess, God, I acknowledge this is wrong. This does not glorify you. This is not your best for me. And so I confess it, and I give it to you where it gets nailed on the cross with Christ. And what happens when you bring it out? He says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin. Now, if you think about it, wait a second, what, why is me bringing my sin to God just? Like, why shouldn't my sin be punished? 
yeah, you're right. Your sin should be punished. It's just it has already been punished through the cross. And so your sin is forgiven. That is why he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. But notice, he will also cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, that gospel, as we looked at that in part one, it is to be active. It's at work. And so that means as you want the gospel to be active in your life, you've got to bring your junk before God. You've got to acknowledge, yes, I know my sin is forgiven through the cross, and yet I keep returning to it. And so God, yet again, I bring it to you. I confess this. So for us to see the gospel growth that I'm praying for you, that I want to see in me, that I want to see in us as a church, it's going to include not just us surrendering, but truly confessing. Now, while uh, if you're going to be doing the daily devotionals with us on Wednesday, you'll be going through this, this uh, bit of confession, but it just seems appropriate for us to together today as we, we launch these 21 days of prayer to do this. So what I want to invite you to do is pray with us corporately a, a prayer of confession, and then we're going to go into a time of silent confession. So Anthony, if you would drop the lights and you'd bring up that prayer, and we will pray this together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Give us genuine sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Lord, Because you are full of compassion, slow to anger, full of mercy, faithful and just, we willingly confess our sin to you. Knowing you and you alone are able to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now I want to give you a minute of silent prayer, of confessing your individual sins. My encouragement is get very specific. The things that the Holy Spirit brings to mind right now, just name them, identify them, acknowledge the the, the wrong of that, and then just take a moment to thank God for the forgiveness. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that we can come to you, that even though our sin is so against your very nature, you allow us to come into your presence to bring these things to you, because you have eliminated them, you have forgiven them, they are vanquished through the cross. So God, help us to live as forgiven people, people who through the Holy Spirit you are cleansing of all unrighteousness. Father, help us to not be arrogant, 
to think that these things aren't a big deal, but to instead realize you are a far greater deal and that you long for us and want us. And so, Father, thank you that we can bring these things before your throne of grace with confidence. Confidence that you aren't going to kick us out, but instead you're going to work in us. So God, thank you. It's important for us to remember that as we bring this disgusting stuff to God and we confess it, that there is that forgiveness. And so at the same time as we confess these things, we need to realize that God's grace, his mercy is given to us. And that's why I want to go to communion now. Because in the act of communion, as we remember the body of Christ, which was broken for us through the cross, as we remember all of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, we are reminded that our sin is forgiven. That no matter what we have done, no matter how disgusting it might be, that it is washed away, it is cleansed. And so I want us to go into this moment of just thanking God. So during this song, at any point, you may go to the elements. Uh, if you were not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm just going to ask that you respectfully not go to these elements because to take these elements means you acknowledge the death of Jesus on the cross for your sin. And, and you're saying that that story is now your story. But even if you're a first-time guest here and you know this gospel message and you've given your life to Christ, you're, you're, you've been joining us in this confession, then come. Let's worship him. Let's remember his sacrifice and let's thank him for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's do this now in remembrance of him. Our third section today is the gospel growing in me. We've seen the gospel planted in us when it came to us. We received and believed. And then we see the gospel working in us as we confess and surrender. But now I want us to see the gospel growing in us. And to help you see this, I invite you to open to 2 Peter. If your phone is still there in 1 John, all you need to do is scroll down because 2 Peter is coming right before uh, 1 John. Uh, I've noticed a lot of people, I even see this tendency in myself, that when you read the scriptures, you tend to kind of skim over the introduction part and the ending part, particularly with the epistles. Uh, the word epistle just simply means letter. Uh, typically, it was more of like a formal letter back in ancient times, uh, often written to a group of people, uh, but sometimes it was written to an individual. And the biblical epistles tend to follow a, a very similar pattern. Uh, the author introduces himself. Here is who it's to. Grace and peace to you. A section of thanks and then gets to the meat of it. And then at the end, there's often, you know, like, hey, we send greetings to this person that's there. So-and-so here wants to also say hi. And because there's full of so many names, sometimes we don't know how to pronounce them, we just tend to skim over them. We just tend to prefer the meaty middle. But if you believe, as I do, that all Scripture is God-breathed, therefore the beginning parts and the ending parts matter just as much. Because if we skim over the beginning and ending parts, we miss little beautiful nuggets like this, the very last verse of 2 Peter verse 3. Verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Second Peter 3 has a little bit of fame to it, particularly with those who would consider themselves apologists. Uh, apologists are not people who are trying to apologize for the Christian faith. They are defending the Christian faith. And when it comes to the idea of whether the scriptures really are the word of God, are they reliable, they will often use 2 Peter 3 to show that even the New Testament, particularly uh, sorry, Paul's letters, are scripture. 
Because in there, just a few verses prior, Peter very clearly says that, that Paul's writings are hard to understand just like the other scriptures. So he's saying his like, you know, um, compatriot, you know, his, his friend who's written these letters, they're not just wise words from Paul. There's not just some good things to hear. No, this is scripture. This is God writing to us through the pen of Paul. And what is it that Paul and therefore Peter want us to know, want us to do? To grow in the knowledge and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what God desires for you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to grow spiritually. He wants you to grow in your understanding. And when you realize that the grace of God is displayed through the gospel, really what he's saying is, I want to see gospel growth in you. I want you growing in your knowledge of these things, but I also want you to grow in your heart, your emotions, your experience. I want to see full growth in you. Because again, God's goal is to make you like Jesus so that you will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. That's why this week in the daily devotionals, we are going to be focusing on your personal growth as an individual. Next week, we're going to get to what does it look like for us as a church to grow together? And then third week, we're going to be looking at how, oh, so therefore, what does this mean locally and globally? But this week, I want you to focus on you. More importantly, I want you to focus on God and the work he wants to do in you. For some of you, this could be a very significant week. Now, I'm not going to make any promises. I have no idea what God's going to do. All I know, though, is if you only go at this kind of half-baked, as I said in the video that I shot last week, you're probably not going to see God do those great things. But if you give yourself to this, truly seeking God through the scriptures, truly committing to prayer, doing these things every day. Some of you, you, you're not in this habit. You may need to set an alarm, figure some way out to remind yourself to every day, pull out the devotional or to open up your email, to get into the scriptures and to pray. But if you give yourself wholeheartedly, well, I will not promise you God's going to do these awesome, amazing things. I will tell you, you're at least creating the opportunity for God to do wonderful and amazing things. And I would love for you to have that because I long for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know that will mean great things for you in your joy, in your relationships, at work, at school, with your siblings, with whoever. Because God wants to be working through you. But so often before he does that work through you, he wants to first do the work in you. So this week, give yourself to this. Let God have every opportunity to speak to you through his scriptures and his Holy Spirit and for you to just continue to surrender, to confess, and allow him to fill you with his presence, with his love, his grace, his goodness, his Holy Spirit. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would do something great for your glory this week, that you would do this in us. For some of us, this is going to be a fantastic, wonderful week. We're going to find ourselves coming back next Sunday excited for what you're going to do in 2023 because of the things that happened this week. For some of us, this will be a hard week because we're going to be confronting some things that, that are really uncomfortable. And so, oh Lord, I pray that you will give us the courage, the strength to, to, to face those things and allow your grace to break through those and for us to understand your love in deep ways. But God, I ask that you speak that you would comfort, you would surround, you would saturate us with your grace, your love, your presence, your power. 
and that we'd find ourselves wanting to gather next week just to declare your glory, to sing your praises because we're excited in what you're doing in us individually and therefore we begin to be excited about what you're going to do through us corporately as a church. So God, use this week for your glory, our growth, and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Next week, we will be getting into uh, what does this look like for us as a whole church to be growing in the gospel. But with that, I want you to know that I want us to be praying with you. And so I'm going to ask that you take the connection cards that you got in the handouts. Hopefully you pick those up off the table out there. And please record any prayer requests. If there's something that you're concerned about individually, your prayer requests stay private. It is only shared among the elders. And we would love to just be praying for those things. If you're facing something hard, then we want to pray for that. If, if there's just something general, if there's other things going on in your life, at work, with family, whatever, we want to pray with you. So yes, you're going to head off this, doing this individually this week, but please let the elders become a part of this with you, knowing that you're not alone and that we've got your back with prayer. So please use those connection cards and then just drop those in the giving box on your way out.